so much money has been made in tech in the last 20 years and 30 years, right? It's not for everyone to be a coding genius. Maybe it's not your personality. Maybe you're not suited for that, or maybe it doesn't make sense to you. You know, obviously we're, it's 2023 Indians are getting into every facet, sports, entertainment, you name it, fashion, right? And export is a perfect fit for a, a large subset of the young population that want to make very serious money, want to do it through physical product. They're living in a country that has literally the largest labor pool on earth by the numbers. Every advantage is going for you as a young person in export. And there, I do think there's a ton of money that can be made. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning into the Limitless Grid podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our channel. This will help us grow and bring more incredible people. Thank you. Hey Rohit, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. Thanks for having me. We both work in tech and there are a lot of people like us who, who have high paying jobs, but they want to start something of their own. They want to have another stream of income. And a lot of people recommend different avenues to have another stream of income that is either being real estate or drop shipping. But you, you recommend consumer packaged goods or CPG. You know, can you talk a little bit about yourself and also, you know, your, your businesses and CPG? So I've been in consumer products, import, export for 15 years. The first business I started was a consumer facing brand called Brush with Bamboo. And it was a, a bamboo toothbrush that I made in China and then primarily sold to North America and Europe. There was multiple aspects there. It, there was product development, there was import export, there was logistics, and then there was e-commerce. I built the website on a WooCommerce platform. This is actually, I don't think Shopify even really existed in any meaningful way in 2011. And that was my first consumer facing brand. Once I had the product developed and I created a website, I put the product on the website and then I posted that product to the Facebook page. I got 22 orders on that first day, I still remember. So uh, no one had ever seen this thing. Oh, it's a toothbrush made from wood. Literally, I was the first person in the world to launch that as a retail item, be it in Europe, India, US. Over the next uh, eight, nine years, I was we, we needed to expand our product line and I was getting stuck in this space where I could only come out with brushes that were made of bamboo. So a uh, brush with bamboo, morphed into another brand, which is just a general sustainability brand called Clean Planetera. And along the way, we started realizing that we have a whole team. We need to keep everyone more busy. We're getting okay business from our two brands, but we can do a lot more with the same team. So then we decided that let's get into private label. Let's get into custom manufacturing. Let's get into uh, like basically being the operational and product development team for anyone that wants to start a consumer product brand. So we've done uh, some big not noteworthy brands and we've done lots of small startup brands for influencers, basically doing their product development, their shipping, e-commerce, anything that utilizes our team to in some synergy with what they already have going on. What made you want to pick that specific product bamboo toothpaste, uh, toothbrush, uh, since like no one had done that before and what was the initial cost to even create that product? I was in the place where people are thinking about eco-friendly products. And I was actively looking for some type of niche product that no one really has that I can be the first importer or product developer of that product. And I watched a movie, randomly watched a movie. It was called Plastic Planet. And it was about how 
the whole world is suffocating from all this plastic pollution. They, they had this scene where like plastic is in your daily life. It's everywhere. And then the guy gets up out of, br- of his bed and he brushes his teeth with a plastic toothbrush. And I watched the whole movie and I was like, okay, you know, there's lots of things going wrong with the world and this is one of them. Great. Uh, I was like, next time I go to the grocery store, whatever they have that's not plastic, I'll, I'll go for that. So, and I was living in the Bay Area where they have like very interesting product selection at the grocery store. And I was like, they must have something. They must have something there at like a Whole Foods or something like that. I went in there. I didn't see anything. Then I was like, let me Google search it. I don't see anything. Amazon search, nothing. Going on, searching Europe, Japan, nothing, nothing. Obscure search result I found in Japan. I saw a, a bamboo toothbrush there. And I was like, wow, I've never seen anything like that before. It's a toothbrush made from wood. And I was like trying to click, can I buy it? Can I buy it? And it was all in Japanese language, no English there. I was trying to see, can I get it shipped? And I couldn't get it shipped. And one of my colleagues in my network, so I I was trying to surround myself with a lot of entrepreneurs at that point in time. I still do constantly try to have tons of entrepreneurs in my network. He He was 10 years ahead of me in the entrepreneurial journey and he made uh his initial money and his entrepreneurial footprint in bamboo fabric so not really not really related but bamboo okay i was i just sent him a casual email that hey look at this you i know you do bamboo fabric and this is a bamboo toothbrush is this is something that you are uh, familiar or do you would you even know how to find something like this and he, he, he was a American guy, but he had developed all that stuff in China and he had an existing team and whole network that he's built out. He was about 10 years ahead of me. He liked the idea. I, I had never imported anything from anywhere before and I did not know anything about. So his team and him, he himself, they did a lot of the early factory visits to find me that, that product, the bamboo toothbrush. And that's how we first imported it. There was a second part to your question too. I forget. Um... Like now, right, when you are uh, thinking of like what products to sell, like how do you go about like researching, like what would be the right products to sell? Like is it, are there certain websites or how do you like follow trends? When you're trying to come up with a product idea, you need to look at the outside world, what's going on, and then you need to look at yourself, the inside, and analyze yourself, like what are your strengths where are where can you be competitive and why can you be uniquely good at selling this product as opposed to any other person so many people come to me because i've highlighted for example the opportunity of millets uh one uh, probably one of my most viral videos i gained like twenty thousand followers in one week for from posting this video about millets uh, because I, i was highlighting the fact that in the natural products market in the US and Europe, uh, the dem- there's a demand for low glycemic and gluten-free grains. And India has these grains in things like jowar, ragi, bajra. And, but you're not, you're not seeing a lot of those millets in the mainstream market. Like the, the, you know, if I walk into a Whole Foods or a Sprouts market or all these other natural food stores, like millet-based products are absent. It's maybe, one out of 20 will incorporate millets, even though that is a gluten-free 
uh, high in fiber grain, which could be used for tons of things, but it's not. And a lot of people are constantly messaging me about, okay, millet, millet, millet. But how, like, if you are getting into that space, like, what is you unique about you that would make you a successful entrepreneur in that space? A lot of people come to me and they 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 will give me the idea like millet or artificial diamonds and like there's two completely different things right lab grown diamonds whereas the this this the lady that's been a food blogger for the past 10 years and she has like so many posts about food and if she posts about millet she will get sales on day one and she will also attract the interest of retail buyers, wholesale buyers, right? So she's in a uniquely suited in, in a position to sell food more than anyone else. So that's the example of like, okay, there's a larger trend. You're looking at the outside world. There are larger trends going on towards natural. There's also larger trends going on towards importing from non-hostile countries like India. Uh, you know, people are looking. People are looking for trade alternatives to China. They're also looking for ways to start up food brands without crazy high MOQs like you'll see in the US. Like say I wanted to start a millet food bar in the US and I wanted to go to a contract manufacturer right now that this is my idea, this is the ingredient list. And they'll be like, who are you? You're no, you're nobody. Uh, my starting order is 100,000 bars. For you, that's 200,000 USD. So otherwise, buzz off. That's That's usually the contract manufacturer's response on the US or European side because they have all these labor laws, all these high high minimum wages, they have all the XYZ things that prevent them from taking any small orders. So you could make it you could make in India for a low cost, low MOQ. You know, the, so there's a larger the larger trend is that people are looking for, uh, for people are always looking to start a new food product. That's always happening. Uh, millets in trend and you have low MOQ, uh, people people that can do it for a low MOQ in India with all the safety compliance. And then looking inside, like, are you the person that's that's suited to move that product? So that's just going back to my point about how do you pick a product idea? You have has to be a balance of why are you uniquely suited to sell that product and spend five or 10 years working or potentially 20 or 30 years working on that idea? And why, why would you be successful? And also, is it the right time in the market for that product? Like if someone was to come right now and say you want to get into bamboo toothbrushes, which is my first product, I would say just forget it. You're going to spend 10 years banging your head against a wall and not going to make any money because the market has reached a saturation point. Like I came out with the first one 12 years ago and now Colgate and Oral-B also have one. So why would you start one right now? You're, you're not going to make anything. You're not going to make any money at all. Do you recommend this um, business to someone who has a full-time job, who makes decent living and who wants to have like a side hustle, but they don't really want to spend a lot of their time? If it's a side hustle, that's also a passion project, then it could be a fit on top of your regular nine to 5 PM job. You know, let's say you're an IT job and, or whatever type of job. And this is like, you want to get into consumer products as a side hustle and you don't have any direct experience with it, then I would make sure that you have some type of interest or deep connection in the space that you're getting into. 
otherwise it it will be a struggle and it won't it won't be fun to layer it on top of your 9 to 5 job yeah that that's a good point so just to summarize so you had a product and you built a system out of that that system included product development manufacturing shipping it to you know shipping it from overseas maybe china india to usa warehousing and then selling it and and that system you were able to leverage the same system for other companies as well and provide services to them so let's let's try to break that system down you know we spoke about product along the same lines then this probably might apply to your current you know clients as well who who might be facing the same issues or maybe probably you you solved them during your own you know product launch so before you say you had an idea of say this toothbrush did you also decide or had a, had an idea as to okay what is the demand and how are you going to sell you know and what are the channels you are going to use to sell this product and what price are you going to sell it at i did have a general idea of the market i'm not one of those people who's like highly quantitative i would say i i kind of go by my gut feeling a lot and just a bunch of qualitative things that i see going on so i knew i knew when i first saw that uh, wooden toothbrush that this is going to be in every store in the united states it's just a matter of time and look today today in 2023 if i walk into any store that bamboo toothbrush is there my brand or someone else's brand is there so i knew i knew it was going to come because cer- certain things you see and you know you know it's going to come there is some quantitative research you can do but there's also larger market trends they say that in 10 years ai will take over xyz you can also tell that there are larger trends going on in consumer products where you know that that's the way it's going like in consumer products there is like two things happening at the same time there's a large a large movement towards natural going the way that things used to be 100 years ago a uh, very down to earth uh, wholesome ingredients food that's going one way and on the other hand you have tech being incorporated into all things that we use on a daily basis like i mean for someone that was just doing coffee mugs uh 10 years ago now there's electronic coffee warmers and all you know coffee mugs that stand it there's a larger trend towards everything becoming electronic in in CPG as well sirsty had a point about how much did i invest in the first yeah on yeah. the first order mm-hmm. so it took me about 25,000 USD of my own money to start uh the first brand brush with bamboo which was 10,000 USD in in inventory about 10,000 toothbrushes and I bought I also rented a storage unit near my house where I put them and then I paid a designer uh and some coders to build my WooCommerce website 5,000 and then i had some all bunch of miscellaneous fees i didn't know that i had to pay the us government $5000 either to be in the toothbrush business i found that out right before the product would have gotten stuck in customs and yeah then i was manually you know shipping the orders every day for like a year nowadays just because websites are so easy to launch and design you'll not have that not have that cost especially if you're a techie you're not going to have that cost because you could probably do it yourself and shopify is very easy these days it, back then there was it was all had to be done custom so there's no way i could do it myself and i didn't have a background like that uh, but but you're always going to have an inventory cost unless you're making it yourself and 
these days, if it, I would say if the product is good, yeah, 10,000 units sounds about right to get into something. You know, if you're looking at one or two dollars or if my four dollars or something like that, you're, you know, you could spend anywhere from 20 to 50,000 dollars to get into something. How much money did you make from that $25,000 investment? I bought the toothbrushes for approximately plus or minus $1 each. And then With like I retail. Was it landing? Like... Landed La- cost? Yeah, landed approximately. And, and you know, then you had, then I had one time costs like the website, FDA, all, uh, you know, United States government fee and all this stuff. And I sold the toothbrushes for somewhere between four and five dollars each and you know then i had my existing facebook thing i sold most of those first toothbrushes manually like taking the tooth i mean by by that i mean like putting toothbrushes in my trunk as samples and having a order sheet printed with a pen and paper and going to stores and saying that how many do you want okay here's my product and i still have a lot of those accounts today actually they still pop on my email and it's kind of cool to see that I sold that store when I was 25 and now I'm 37. And it's, you know, still, they're still reordering. It was very tough though. If, if I knew what it was going to be, I would never do it again. I would just stay, I would just stay at Deloitte. I had a, I had a tech job. I had a tech job also at Deloitte consulting and I was doing Oracle 11i implementations for Sun Microsystems, very high pay and you know, making tons of money in in my early 20s i i decided to go the entrepreneurial route and if i knew all the the struggle that it would involve if you told me what it was going to be i would probably never do it again but and i know i know everyone says that but i, I literally never do, i would not do it again so, even now you think like that like after you've like established yourself i mean i'm standing here on the other side of it now but like i feel like i should have looking back layered it on top of my nine to five job, not quit my nine to five mm. job, not, not put that pressure on myself uh, too early. And, you know, had to miss a lot of social activities with friends. Like my friends were going to oh, Costa Rica or we're doing this, we're going to this really nice dinner place. And I'm thinking, I cannot even afford to go there with you, you know, because it doesn't make any sense for me. And I could have, I could have had all that social activity, which is a, a big part of your uh, mid twenties and late twenties and all that stuff. I could have not skipped all that and, you know, done it a little slower, but I was very like ambitious and very like, oh no, I have to go all the way. Right. And I think that's like that hustle culture, which people keep pushing, uh, you know, hustle culture, work, work, work harder. I feel like it's my personal opinion, looking at it on the other side of that 10 years later, that people need to tone that down and, and uh, be play it safe. Like, have more of the Indian dad mindset, like play it safe. Like, I think it's, I think it's good to play it safe. Like I heard there's these two new, two guys from Stanford that dropped out of their thing and they started another billion dollar company. These two Indian guys, I forget what the name is, but I would say finish your degree. (laughs) That's my, you never know what's going to happen. The education is worth it. You never know what's going to happen. Anything can happen with your startup and no one can take that degree away from you. Once you have it, don't, don't drop out of anything. Keep your, I would keep, I would keep your nine to five. And you know what, if you really have an entrepreneurial bug, I would say get a, get a different nine to five. That's not all consuming. 
one one where get a nine to five where at four thirty p.m. everyone stops working, and and at you know your your day is your own and your weekends are on your own and no one's texting you calling you but you still have that base now where you are uh, provided for especially if your parents are not there to do that for you you ha- you keep that keep that base and now layer your entrepreneurial activity on top of that and if you're not in a financial position from your family where your dads or your dad that set this up for you then that's my recommendation for people in that position that's a good point uh so coming back to the to the system that you created say you have the product now and you you want to look for a manufacturer you mentioned that manufacturing in america was not feasible because of labor laws it was very expensive so you had to go overseas how did you find the factory and how did you vet them so it depends whether you can manufacture in america or not or europe or not that it really depends on the product uh, in my case i had a product that had to be made overseas because bamboo is not and and toothbrush manufacturing in general doesn't happen in the us right i try to focus on indian factories as much as possible now because that is not only is it a global trend but also a lot of indians working in it right now or and they're looking to get into consumer products like that's where you're going to be also strong as a uh, manager of that supplier right i have a lot of people come to me and they're they're from rajasthan and they have all the connections to make sure nothing screws up in rajasthan something like that so you if you can util, utilize where you're from to your advantage why not that's your that's your unique advantage anyways going going back to what you can be uniquely at have an advantage in there are multiple things that you need to look at to make sure that that factory is a fit for you uh, one of those things is size so if you are a solo entrepreneur maybe doing this on top of a 9 to 5 and the factory is enormous then maybe you're going to get lost over there so you, you want to have a factory that's willing to work with someone your size you also want to look at the people so re- relationships are very important if you, if you're not speaking directly to the factory owner or on top management and you you just have they're just putting an account manager with you i would say that's a red flag because that account manager is 100% not going to be in that position in two more years so you want to make sure that you are especially if you're just starting off you want to make sure you have the attention of the boss at least like who where why isn't that person speaking to you if they're not speaking to you uh, then then that's a red flag because you you want to be working with these people in 10 more years and that account manager is not going to be there in 10 more years and then you also want to look at just product and packaging can that factory like you have a vision for your product and packaging can the factory make it that way or is it not really going to be the product that you want you also want to look at price and the timing uh, pricing timing and location so let's say they can make the product that you want can they make it at the price that you need to meet to meet the price that you want to offer finally retail uh can they do it in the lead time that's reasonable if it is are they quoting you 60 days or 90 days or i've had factories quote me oh right now we're really backed up and it's 6 months lead time but that's that doesn't work especially for a solo entrepreneur like you need a 30 or 60 day lead time at most you want you want things to move fast if you're solo and uh and location like you want you you want uh you you know if the if they're 
based somewhere that you can never it's not really convenient for you or to go there then uh, then you want to probably pick someone else or pick would you else. focus on factories that are say closer to the port or closer to the railway not tracks completely irrelevant in today's in today's world who's closer to the port who's closer to the rail is completely irrelevant it doesn't add it doesn't add anything to your uh lo- like logistics is so good now and logistics is pretty much automated like no one is doing unless you're a logistics manager you're not managing logistics because it's all done all the freight forwarding is done by the third party companies that are extremely tech forward now and where i've never i never care where is a factory i just make sure that i can speak their language and and that they're nice they're nice people they're easy to get along with but where how close they're located to the port it probably adds like you know if you i mean you could the math can be done very different ways but like let's say on a product that's not very heavy like physically heavy then the they're close to the port not close to the port it's going to add like 5 cents usd to my it's not going to make any difference to my per unit cost so i had a product i was selling from 2018 to 20 and it was like arika leaf plates from uh kerala when i did my initial research i didn't know how to vet a factory so there was a company who had an incredible a uh, website online so i was like oh send me some uh pieces of the product and they send me the pieces and i had a friend so i was like oh can you go and check and see if that's like a real factory or like a manufacturer he went and it was like a fake factory but thankfully i had someone who can just go and check like physically but a lot of people might not have that luxury so are there like websites or places where people can vet a certain factory or manufacturer online how do you vet i would say that for 99% of the people watching this podcast you need to do exactly what you just said is that you need a friend or a contact or you need to physically go there yourself if if that's if you physically going there yourself is not an option then you need a like a friend family member or other contact going there i i think that is the the lower cost better way to do it for a entrepreneur that's just starting off but obviously you know when you have if you're getting into hardcore like product sourcing in the way that I do it then yeah there are services too like there's a you know a company called Bureau Veritas which will go and make visits all over China I don't think they do India but there's trading companies in India too that will that will do this type of stuff there's trading companies in China there uh if you're you know for those of your listeners that are physically located in the US then you can you know they mostly they mostly all pick up the phone here it's not it's less of a issue but you know, for for doing things in India and China i would use a trading company but what's you know, a, what's a trading not, company a trade trading company is like a middle is a middleman between factories and and uh buyers of brands or you know distributors okay So instead okay. of talking with like 10 people you just talk with one trading company. Yeah, a trading company specializes in and it's a great way to start also. Like let's say you are not wanting to visit the factory or not physically able or you're just not interested. There are trading companies in India that will go and research the factory for you. 
they will go and visit for you. They'll do a quality checks for you. And you will obviously, your per unit cost on your product might go up because this, a lot of them are going to take cuts. Even if you tell them not to take the cut, they're for sure something is happening or they're going to charge you monthly monthly uh, retainers for their time. So, but if you're just starting off and you don't want to get into all of that, then I would, I would recommend you just have a friend or a family member or someone go and check it out. That's the, that's the easier way to do it. Hi everyone. If you have watched the content up until now, and if you haven't subscribed, then I request you to please subscribe to the channel. It really helps the channel grow. Thank you. And when I did my business, I realized like there were a lot of things that I hadn't thought about. Like for instance, I was doing Arika leaf plates that is found in nature, but then there was a natural disaster. And because of that, like my Arika leaf plates, I wasn't getting for six extra months. So for someone who might want to start a business, like I think they need to think about products that are like easily available or not, or, you know, if there is something unforeseen happens like what can you do about it and i've had exactly very similar to what you're talking about happen you know i've done uh, some bamboo products from the northeast like meghalaya assam and i've had suppliers call me and tell me that it's raining and production is going to be 30 days delayed that is happening less no one in china will ever call to tell you it's raining never they will figure out that order no one will ever say it's raining to you and it's 30 days delayed they will make that order happen that's the chinese manufacturing culture you know if your business is manufacturing then a true manufacturer needs to have production independent of the weather meaning something in place that when it rains you have another step in the process where you dry something like that and your your your, your manufacturing of your product needs to be indoors what you're saying, I've heard it. I've heard it before and I've had it happen to me before. I would say I, I have heard less and less of that now in 2023 and more of that like eight years ago. But Indian manufacturers are getting up. The, the people that were I was talking to, they're 25, you know, and now they're 30. They, they've made a lot of all those mistakes. They've made those mistakes and they've lost those orders. And it is getting more professional, the manufacturing. I've seen, I've seen it firsthand. But if you're dealing in India, Malaysia, Thailand, whatever, you want to ask them, like, what is your contingency plan, especially if you're dealing with a natural product? Like, what happens when rain happens, snow happens? Like, you need to add something into your production so I never can go out. I never can go out of stock. Because every time you're out of stock, you're losing customers. Yeah, those are the questions I didn't even know I had to ask. But, and also, I think it's really important to go visit there because you might see some things online or you know on a video call but once you go there and see how they make products it will give you a whole different uh like picture of like what's actually happening so before i would say like even making up your mind like it's extremely important to go to the factory and just see how things are made 100 percent agree especially if you're getting into something for the first time and you've never done this before go to the factory and visit them this one guy that he wants to do this uh, desi gear cow ghee, like Bologna style ghee, right? He wants to import it to the U.S. market from uh, Rajasthan. I told him you have to physically go there for sure, because you you don't know how the processing, you don't know the safety, you don't know uh, a lot of things around. You don't just even even when it comes to branding and marketing, like what's 
what's so special about this Bellona style of making the ghee? Like, why am I going to pay triple the price for it? Right. Learn more about that. So factory visit, if you're just starting off, very important. And I, I, I did that. I know that firsthand. So the first 10,000 toothbrushes I bought, we had a, a 5% defect rate, which is high, which is high. And, and when you have a deep, when you have, that's too high for, for, it's completely unacceptable for a toothbrush, especially because the toothbrush is a medical item that's going in your mouth. So when you have people complaining that this toothbrush literally fell up, a wooden toothbrush fall apart in their mouth, that's a big liability, right? So that, and that, and that's my mistake for never physically going there. So, you know, I first got on the market in 2012 and by 2013, I had to be in China to figure out what is going wrong and why, why is it going wrong? And we ended up switching factories when I, when I physically went. Do you remember what was what was happening? What changed when you visited the factory in terms of the quality check? When I physically went, I saw one factory and then I saw another factory and I, I had to switch the factory. So that and that type of learning you're only gonna get by physically visiting them because you're not you're not gonna understand who's more professional just from video. You you're gonna have to physically see them. And you know, there's lots of there's lots of investment too, like going back to what Srishti was saying that how much did I put? How much money did I put? If you can get a, a cheap airline ticket and and a, and a you know decent cost of transportation and, and low cost low cost hotel, if you're putting that much money into it, then it's a one flight and maybe three four days of your time is also worth it. You can build a weekend into it, go on a weekend, come back on a you know you don't have to take that much time off of work to do a visit that is going to be extremely beneficial to the way you're selling the product. The, the quality issues kind of reminded me to ask you one question that I had. Uh, so many a times, you know, quality issues also come from different expectations. Say you, you have something else in the mind and the, the factory owner interprets it, interprets it in a different way. So did you have any, issues while conveying the product specifications to the manufacturer yes i've made all those mistakes before so <laughs> how do we not make those mistakes how did you solve that uh, but basically the key to solving quality issues is uh, there's two things uh that's the sampling phase of a product so let's say you're making some type of physical item you want to make sure that what's called a golden sample is approved before you produce that product. So the golden sample means that this is the item and this is the product, this is how it's gonna look, this is the packaging that it's gonna have, and I approve this sample. That's the, that's the golden sample, I approve it. Now, and you have to make it very clear to the manufacturer, because a lot of them, let's say, especially if you're in India, if I use the word golden sample, then uh, a lot of people will not know, a lot of manufacturers don't know what that is. Because the, the manufacturing culture is building up in India. It's not 100% there yet. It, it's coming fast, though. But you need to, if the manufacturer doesn't know what that term is, you need to explain it to them that I'm approving this sample and what you make in production needs to be 100% like this. No variation, no different tape here, no uh, different font here, nothing, a different diameter, like 100% the same thing. Do not change anything. And then what you what you need to do is that you need to do a, a mid-production and a post-production QC check. So let's say they say, yeah, this will be done in 30-day lead time. Then on the 10th or 12th day, go and look and make sure that the initial pieces 
or if it's halfway done or whatever is a is according to your specifications. If you can't physically go, then you know again have a friend and family go. Or there are third party uh, quality control services that that are worldwide. You can pay, and they and they are in India too. Did you have like um back and forth where like you were like okay I want this product and they make a product and they send it to you and you don't like how it looks you reiterate like go make it a different way and then they send it back to you and if so like how long was the process Yes you will always have that it's called this it basically it's called the sampling phase and you keep iterating the sample so for all those with a tech background it's like exactly when you're making uh, a tech product like you're iterating the product to reach to the point where it's ready to ship you know and i think they even use that term in in tech like we're shipping this product today right it's the same thing in physical product but it takes much longer the reason why is because we can't we're not just typing code and pushing it into the system right so like every change like and let's say i have a product like a hair comb and i think that the hair comb the teeth on the hair comb are too sharp for my scalp and i want it to be i'm telling the factory make it more soft so it's not poking me as much on the scalp okay now they're going to go into making a new physical sample and they're going to ship you that sample you're going to receive that sample so you know two weeks at least one one and a half weeks are lost just in shipping time right and then in communication throw in another week and photos throw in another 3 4 days so it's like whereas with i could just have a tech team blah, blah type 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 and it's it's done when you develop a physical product just because of the nature of moving things from one place to the other you're going to have a longer lead time and it really it really depends on how hungry the factory is for your business how fast they want to move and how long actually is there any physical limitation to the manufacturing like how fast that can happen but you know just to give you an example like i i did develop a lady's uh hairbrush and from start to finish it was 8 months and that's that's for someone that knows what that was when some you know i i was at like uh, the intermediate or advanced level of my career in terms of my knowledge so it's still you know it 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 can take some time and you have shipping lead times in between so wow 8 months seems like a long time especially if somebody drops out of their work and starts yeah, working no. on this yeah so that's that's one big lesson i'll tell you also that in in physical product right there it does take months uh and potentially a you know maybe a solid year even to develop one product especially if you're doing it from uh, a, a unique production so if no one's made that product before and you're doing something unique and you're not just putting your brand on something that the factory already makes then it is going to take you some time it is it's just like developing an app if you think about it like it, that app, you're going to take a year year and a half to make that app you know maybe 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 some people can do it faster but it depends on how fast the factory's moving and how fast you're moving because it's a, a physical item there's the moving around of it which takes extra time and if the factory is busy and you're you know let's say you need another revision and they like, oh, we have to do two three more things before we get to your thing that adds to the time you know like i've developed a, a line of custom underwear for two influencers right now and i think start to finish it took probably 18 months to develop their underwear from idea to reality so basically like instead of developing your own products now you also develop products for other people 
and just handle the whole like talking to the factory and just dealing with everything that they probably don't want to deal with. That's correct. Yeah, we we do. um, We have a team in place and we we doing it for other people wherever it makes sense to do it. Like if we can fit in, if we can fit in and we can provide value and and do something faster than you would you could do it or you just don't want to do it then we're we are doing that for brands so say once the product is manufactured and you want to ship it back to to the states or say wherever you're selling it how do you go about warehousing that product do you have any tips depending on your schedule and your time maybe for some time like let's say you're just at the very very beginning you could you could probably get away with and you want to keep costs to 100% minimum, you could probably get away with keeping it in your house and shipping it manually to if you wanted to do that. Like, let's say you just, you're, oh, I only, you only have 2,000 units of this, then if you only have 2,000 units and you barely have a website and you're, you're just starting off, then you would even, uh, hiring a 3PL to do your fulfillment, eh, are they going to be even 3PL? interested? Sure, yeah. So a 3pl is your is eventually how you want to be shipping in an e-commerce or consumer product business you want to be using third party logistics third party 3pl means third party logistics so meaning that these are people who specialize in doing your logistics as a third party it's exactly what the name is right so a 3pl is a warehouse where they have a team in in place to receive shipments receive receive items store those items and fulfill your orders all 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 for a service fee so either either the service fee, the service fee will always be a mix of your how many items you're storing there and how many orders they're doing per day for you so and and so eventually i think for pretty much all of your customer all of your for all of your customers listening to this podcast they all are going to want to do a 3pl because that is the goal in terms of time freedom time flexibility you want you want to be able to go on vacation and you're on your phone and you're just seeing the orders come in and the 3pl is fulfilling those orders by logging into your website and putting in the putting in the tracking numbers that's not work that you want to do long term and and you, 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 I have my, at this point, I have my own 3PL. So I'm not, uh, we, we were using another three, we were using 3PL for a long time, but because of we were doing operations for people, uh, one of the biggest parts of that, the biggest question I get is like, can you recommend a 3PL? So a lot of people have, or it's either like, can you make my product? Can you do the, my website for me? Or can you recommend a 3PL? And so we were like, okay, let's just do 3PL. I mean, we already know how to do all this stuff. So uh, we have our own 3PL, and, but eventually you want to reach a, so, so I, it's my business now to manage that whole operational mess that is like shipping and receiving, receiving containers and all that stuff. But you, for, for all of most of your listeners, like let's say you're just starting a brand, you want all that shipping to be done by someone else. And, and it's, it's, you don't want to deal with having an employee and having a, a payroll and a liability insurance and you don't want to deal with any of that and i went uh 10 years without dealing with any of that because i would never want to have all those liabilities on my plate as a as a starting entrepreneur so yeah three third-party logistics means like someone else doing the shipping for you like you know if 
if I open my phone right now, there's like, you know, 20 retail orders. I'm not worried about how is that going out. That's the, the job of a logistics provider. So if I could summarize to so these factories, say you ship the product from the factories to you from overseas over here, and they directly go to the the 3PL warehouses, they they take care of it. They do the inventory management in terms of counting and keeping the records. And they ship it to the retailers. And in case if there are returns, they also take care of the returns. That's exactly right. Yeah, you you it, the product goes from the factory to the 3PL and from the 3PL to the end customer. And most most 3PLs, like for your listeners and viewers, most 3PLs they they will they should be keeping track of your inventory. But it's not their job to replenish your inventory. If there is only a hundred units left, all they'll do is say, "Hey, you have hundred units left." It, they don't know that oh, it's a sixty-day lead time, and you're not going to get the next hundred units for another. That's your problem. So you need to. They'll watch your inventory. They'll give you the data on this is your current inventory, and then to actually manage your inventory, that's still your job to make sure that you're not running out of units. So speaking of inventories. How do you manage inventories for your clients and even for your own business? All, all it takes to manage inventory, inventory is like a very simple mathematics. You look at your sales velocity, how many units are you selling per month and what's the growth rate of that uh, sales velocity? Is it growing month over month or is it stable? And then you look at your current inventory, like you have, okay, I have 10,000 units. I have 10,000 units on hand and it's selling at, 1000 units per month and the growth rate is flat okay you have 10 months of inventory right but if you if you if there's a growth rate there then you need to do the math for that and and then you also factor in your factory lead time so it takes you let's say including the factory lead time plus the shipping lead time to get the product from the factory to you now that's your total lead time so all inventory management is is the art of running those numbers to make sure that you never run out of inventory at your warehouse. So they'll, you, you have a, a you'll, you, you, you keep all that on a spreadsheet. We literally just keep it on a Google sheet. So, you know, we, we, uh, 3PL updates us every month that this is current inventory level. And you, you plug that into the spreadsheet. Now you know that you have this many weeks of stock left. And you know that the factory lead time is sixty is is this many weeks for the factory lead time plus the shipping lead time. So you from that you can calculate a reorder point that at which point that we have twenty weeks of stock left, we need to now place a reorder with the factory, and then we'll be replenished in time so that we have no no out of stock situation. Product is your money; that's your lifeblood. So you, your your goal is to never run out of it. And to always have plenty of it, like you just want to have a buff. It's not that hard, honestly. I'm not, I'm making it sound more complicated than it is, but you just want to buy heavily enough, like order heavily enough that you have plenty of inventory for any unforeseen purchases. Also, like, let's say a huge customer comes in and they're like, I want to buy 10,000 today. Great. You want to, you want to have enough to, to handle those one-off big, big orders that come in. Uh, if you, you want to, you want to be, have a healthy amount of inventory and not, not be low on inventory or going like so close to the reorder point again and again. If you could go back like and talk, like guide yourself when you were still in Deloitte making good money, like what advice would you give? Like knowing everything that you know now. If you're selling an item where it's selling because it's competitive on price, 
then you have you have long-term staying power in that category like if you are the if you are able to come to the market with a product that's beating a lot of other products on cost then you have long-term potential there if you're coming to the market i mean i'll just say something generally just for in eco-friendly like because uh, I, because I was in eco-friendly, like for, I am still in eco-friendly, you know, if your only value proposition for a product is that it's eco-friendly when things go wrong, no one cares, right? They, they, if, yeah, if gas is very expensive, then no one cares. Right. So, uh, and it, it, like in a, in a, in a prosperous economy, then people will spend on stuff like that. But think there's so many products you want to, you want to get into a product line where, when things are going good, it's doing good. But then when things go wrong, that you're just not like easily cut out. So you want to get into something that you're, you're competitive and there's brand loyalty and it's something that your customers feel that they need that in uptimes and downtimes. And like, for example, if you look at eco-friendly or organic, it's still working for food. When economy's up or the economy's down, the parents are still gonna feed their kid organic food. They're gonna, they're gonna go for the best food for their kid because they don't want any health problems or any complications from cheaping out on the food. And they're gonna spend on the clothes that are that are the good clothes and they're going to spend on ed children's education. So edu education and, and the children's category for things that really matter, like what they're putting on their body or in their body or in their brains, those are evergreen categories. So I would, you know, I see, I see a lot of people getting into something like, it's like, you know, it's nail polish and it's just like a different color or something. And it's like, the person who can maybe make that brand work is like a Priyanka Chopra or something, but everyone else don't get into that category because it's non-essential and you can't, you can't run a, a brand only on star power. If that's not your background, you know, if it's just, if it's just a cool color or something like that, it's not going to work. Or if it's like, you know, so I would get into, I would tell my younger self, like get into a, uh, evergreen category where it's, it's an essential. And I, I feel like I did do that to a certain extent, but also to a certain extent, I didn't like, I, I, I am in a product. My main revenue comes from an item that is a daily use product. And that was my logic getting into it 12 years ago. I was like, I saw my, my parents were in the fashion industry for a, like a textile importers. So this, that's kind of why I had this background. Like, so I, and I saw, I, I saw items go up go down this is in fashion this is out of fashion they're changing from this supplier that supplier this supplier that supplier i was and that's why when i approached the idea i was like i want something that's never going to go in or out and I, I saw something so boring like a toothbrush we have very stable customer base like once you let's say let's say those people that have been buying it for like five six years and days like and it's that that's their household toothbrush like why would it ever change like it's the toothbrush has been around for 500 years it's never going to go out of fashion it, you have electric and now even dentists come and say, and my dentist tell me, don't use electric for your teeth. So you're always going to have people that, that are like manually brushing their teeth and the technology, whatever happens, I'm going to be part of that. You know, I've, I've implemented some certain things like to stay on top of the latest dental trends, but you know, it's a, it's a boring everyday item. 
and it, it, it does generate a very stable monthly income for me, which is, you know, how I'm now married with a kid. So I, I did get to the other side of that thing, you know, other side of the thing, the curve, but uh, it also is subject to the fluctuations of eco-friendly, which eco-friendly took a big hit after COVID. Big, big hit. A lot, I think of our customer base, we used to have 4,000 wholesale accounts, doors, places that we ship. We're down to 2,000 and just, it's just systemic because they're, they're, they're just out of business. They, they, as people are losing income and then they're choosing to shop at Target and Walmart, they're not going to those little boutique stores that were, we were servicing before. How many products do you currently have? Like just your own brand? For our own brands, I think we have 30, 35, something. If you include all, yeah, if you include all the variations of everything, yeah, it's I think about 35. Wow. SKUs that we sell. I mean, now it's very simple for us to add a new product, but we're just not adding new products to our two own brands right now because the sales have taken a hit after COVID. We're just kind of like, okay, let's let's wait and see if eco-friendly category turns around. Otherwise, like like we're getting more return our, our, on our investment. Just uh, you know, for my time, like if I go to a trade show and just say, hey, I can do a three PL for you. And I'll make more money like that at this point, rather than coming out with another eco-friendly product, right? Like I, ha I have something that like in the economy now where retail stores are closing all the time, like, you know, some retailer is always closing, like the, the era of the malls and everything is going out and all that business is shifting into warehouses. So like, you know, when, when I'm in the warehouse business, like that is more profitable for me than like if I was to come out with another product in, in the eco-friendly line, you know, so I, I'm doing things now where it maximizes my revenue for the time I spent doing the sales. You also have a online course that teaches people these principles. Like, can you share with us, like, what is the course about and um, how did you, and I found you through Instagram because you have amazing content. So how did you decide to get into like content creation and creating this course a lot of it had to do with the fact that we saw that the the whole sustainable thing was flattening out after covid we realized that we had to get into other things even before that whole dip happened like i was developing an underwear ladies underwear line for these two influencers and uh, i thought okay i'm doing it for them can I just do it for a lot more people or, or a select group of people at least so we can have more revenue coming in and hedge our, hedge our bet, like diversify a little bit away from eco-friendly. And I mean, the number one way to market in today's world is, is content creation. Like how do you, how do you people hear about you? What do you do? Why are you, you know, who are you? And I decided like, uh, well, my first thing we did was like, what if we, make a whole YouTube series on how to start a brand. Everything that I know, like, let's just put it on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And we have this, this guy, uh, his name is Lucky. He's from, he's a film student from India studying here in LA. So how did and you find him? Lucky, it's really funny, but uh, he filmed my proposal to my wife. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> and he's a film, like his, his teacher at Los Angeles Film School uh, made made two of my videos for Brush with Bamboo, uh, and when I when I I asked that guy who was Lucky's teacher uh, in the film school, 
I asked him, hey, you, you filmed my proposal. I, I'm you know, proposing to my wife. I want to make a video about it. So the guy was like, I'm busy that weekend, but I have this student that works for me. And, you know, you would get along with him because he's, he's, uh, he's also from India and his, his name's Lucky. And ever since then, like, so Luck, Lucky is a, he's made like, he's made like my son's first birthday video, my, you know, some of my engagement videos. And then, uh, then he did a lot, he, a lot of the product photography on our websites is done by him, white background, e-commerce photography. He's just a general video audio guy. So, and, um, and now he's, now he's working with us like uh, on a, on a monthly and, uh, he's, you know, basically produced a whole YouTube series and he helped, he helped put, you know, do all the editing and stuff like that. And then started posting that content and the, the initial idea, like, why did I be, why did I start posting content on YouTube and Instagram? The initial idea was that we are product people. How do I and how do we get our name out there? And, you know, I just feel like the number one way to do that in 2023 is like you just start posting stuff and then people get to know you. They get to know your personality. You know, uh, you have a bunch of haters and a bunch of lovers <laughs> and, you know, that like so, a lot of people will hate you and a lot of people will love you. And that, but the nice part about social media is that like I went to a trade show a couple of days ago and I went around and I'm shaking hands with people and telling them about our company and they're telling me about what they do. And, you know, obviously just like in any human interaction, like some people are going to right off the bat, looks like they're standoffish, like they don't want to deal with you. And some people are friendly, but maybe they don't want to pay you. Right. The interesting part about doing content creation is that like, it's like meeting, it's like meeting thousands of people, uh, simultaneously through this electronic medium where you can like display your display your personality to the world. And then automatically some people are going to connect with you. Like the people I follow, like, I don't know why I follow them. I just like, like, I, I, I connect, I connect with them uh, and I could see myself having, having lunch with them and uh, wanting to talk to them. And I think, you know, that's, that's the interesting part about content creation is that like, you're putting yourself out there, you're putting your personality out there, you're putting your flaws out there and your entire, you know, the way you are as a person and some people are going to some people are going to connect with that and think you're awesome and some people are going to not connect with that and not like you and but that that's going to happen anyways I, I could do it at a trade show and have it happen at 1/100th of the speed or 1/1000th of the speed and you know I walked the whole trade show and only one person connected with me on a on a person to person level or I could do it through content creation you know which talking about making money fast like this is the way to do it fast because content creation enables you to meet thousands and thousands of people in way, way less time. And if you want to, you know, optimize for your time, then, then that's why I started creating content. So I started, I was like, let me, I, I know a certain, uh, I have this certain base of knowledge. Let me share it with the world. You know, I initially was just like, hopefully we get some more clients this way, but uh, kind of decided at some point to, offer a paid course because honestly, just because I, I would flip through comments every day and respond to DMs all day. And a lot of people say, sir, do you have a paid course? Sir, do you have a paid course? Sir? So, I mean, like, do you have a mentorship program? Do you, do you do classes? Do you have a master class? Like people, cause I think people expect that from content creators. And so they were asking me, do you have, do you have this? Do you have this? And yeah, I do need to, if I take out a, a period of my time and dedicate it to looking at your situation and improving or giving advice. Yeah. I have to charge something for it. So that makes sense. And so, yeah, I started doing a monthly export seminar. A majority of my, you know, I just noticed that 
the majority of my followers are are trying to imp do import export from India. My YouTube series is very generic, has no not country specific at all. And then when we posted the shorts from that YouTube series and and even just got the response on YouTube, I noticed that majority of the people are trying to do something from India. Also, I mean, obviously that has to do with my name is Rohit Kumar. And people, and that's, you know, people are looking at me like, okay. And then I also happen to have done, in terms of importing consumer products from India, I am very early in the game in terms of bringing that stuff into the US and Europe. Like a lot of people, you know, a lot of manufacturers in India are doing a great job. Like they have that level of quality that they can export outside of India, but for whatever reason, they're not doing it or not thinking about it. And I did get in very early into that game and got to see a lot of the mistakes that are happening, the things that are not being done right, and the, and the common issues. And so I started hosting this seminar, How to Export from India to the World. I was talking to him yesterday, like I was going through Instagram, and I I know why it resonates with people, because it's it's very niche, and you have like very practical videos on things that people can implement in their like businesses. So like, I think you have like, captured a very niche market that a lot of people are interested like i was talking to one of his friends and he was like oh like that is something i'm totally interested i want to like import something from india and like a lot of people want to do it but they don't know how thank you yeah i i think that the timing was good in terms of the entire world uh is talking about moving away from chinese manufacturing and the entire world also had you know there's every Every, I just, I knew it was a, a time for it also because like I'm on the, I'm on the buyer side too. And I know that every buyer I, I talk to is like, can I get it, but not made in China? They're, they're looking for anything else, Vietnam, like, and look at the countries that have the major, the major labor pools that you're looking at just like Vietnam, Indonesia, and, uh, and, and, and uh, Vietnam, Indonesia, and India. From, from that selection, the only two that have any major potential like that are the next runners up is India and Vietnam and though so basically India and Vietnam are in the position to benefit from the global move away from China and and uh, obviously I've never I've never done anything for Vietnam no no major plans to I started importing things from India because I have the connections there like uh, I I've been uh, traveling and living there and have part of my education there since, you know, for, for, for 20 years. So I'm leveraging those contacts to run the machine over there. And yeah, so that there's a, like a larger thing going on. Uh, the whole world is looking to India to be a manufacturing center and export hub. And then you also have lots of uh, young Indians looking to get into it there, you know, because you are, you do have like, uh, you know, so much money has been made in tech in the last 20 years and 30 years, right? Uh, millionaires and billionaires made in tech. And uh, it's not everyone's mental forte. Like it's not, it's not, it's not for everyone to be a coding genius. Uh, it's not, maybe it's not your personality. Maybe you're not suited for that. Or maybe it doesn't make sense to you as much as, you know, obviously we're, it's 2023 Indians are getting into every facet, sports, entertainment, you name it, fashion, right? And export is a perfect fit for a, a large subset of the young population that want to make very serious money, want to do it through physical product. They're, they're living in a country that has 
literally the largest labor pool on earth by the numbers, right? And so the, every advantage is going for you as a young person in export. And there, I do think there's a ton of money that can be made. And if you're, if you're getting into it, it, it's right now is the golden time to get into it and, and put, carve your piece of the pie so that, you know, going forward, you're part of the growth rather than missing out on the party. Yeah. Hmm. Hey, thanks so much. Um, and if people want to connect with you, like where can they find you to get more information? Best way would be uh, my Instagram, which is uh, my handle is it's Rohit Kumar, I-T-S Rohit Kumar. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn, Rohit Kumar. My comp- like, There's a lot of Rohit Kumars out there. So the best way to search on LinkedIn would be like <laughs> Rohit Kumar New Origins, which is my company name. Hmm. So... But yeah, my Instagram is where I post all of my my media. I'm posting two to three times per week. Yeah. And uh, like you said, lots of uh, niche content uh, related to this like very specific field that I'm in, which is Indian export import. Your YouTube is pretty good too. My, and my YouTube, yeah. yeah. We're we're going to we're going to be posting new stuff on YouTube too. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to our podcast till now. I hope it added value in your life. And if it did, please subscribe to our channel. It will help us grow and bring more incredible guests. Thank you.